0: Our first reading this morning comes from the book of Joshua, beginning at chapter 1. It can be found on page 208 in the Church Bibles. Joshua, chapter 1. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' aid, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now then, you and all these people... Get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land I'm about to give them to the Israelites. I will give you every place where you set your foot, as I promised Moses. Your territory will extend from the desert to Lebanon and from the great river, the Euphrates, all the Hittite country to the great sea on the west. No one will be able to stand up against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses so I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Be strong and courageous because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their forefathers to give them. Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left that you may be successful wherever you go.
1: and can be found on page 208 from the Pew Bible. Then Joshua, son of Nun, secretly sent two spies from Shittim. Go look over the land, he said, especially Jericho. So they went and entered the house of a prostitute named Rahab and stayed there. The king of Jericho was told, Look, some of the Israelites have come here tonight to spy out the land. So the king of Jericho sent this message to Rahab. But she had taken them up to the roof and hidden them under the stalks of flax she had laid out on the roof. So the men set out in pursuit of the spies on the road that leads to the forts of Jordan. And as soon as the pursuers had gone out, the gate was shut. Before the spies laid down for the night, she went up onto the roof and said to them, I know that the Lord has given this land to you and that a great fear of you has fallen on us. So that all who live in this country are melting in fear because of you. We have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt. And what you did to Shion and Og, the two kings of the Amorites east of the Jordan, whom you completely destroyed. When we heard of it, our hearts melted and everyone's courage failed because of you. For the Lord your God is God in heaven above and on earth below now then please swear to me by the lord that you will show kindness to my family because i have shown kindness to you give me a sure sign that you will spare the lives of my father and mother my brothers and sisters and all who belong to them and that you will save us from death our lives for your lives the men assured her if you don't tell what we are doing we will treat you kindly and faithfully when the lord gives us the land
2: thanks sue and to keep that part of your Bible open, uh, and there's an outline uh, that you would have got on the way in uh, that will hopefully uh, be helpful as we go through this part of God's Word this morning. Now, no one sets out to fail, do they? Uh, unless maybe they're trying to you know, throw a game for an illegal bet. Uh, no one sets out to fail on purpose or intentionally. Now, if you're building a house, uh, if you're running a race, working on a project... Uh, playing a game, maybe darts, uh, or even cooking dinner. You don't set out to fail, do you? Well, this is also true of the Christian life. No one sets out to stop trusting God. No one looks ahead and says, yes, look, I'll, I'll follow God now, uh, the next few years, and then after that, look, I think I've probably have had enough and we'll stop there. We want to keep trusting God, continuing to run the race. It's important, isn't it? So, why is it that we so often feel like we do fail to trust God or see circumstances where we look back and, well, no, I wasn't trusting God there? We go off and trust other things. Why is it that we hear of those who have fallen away? Why is it that the sun scorches the roots of some plants? Why is it that thorns grow up alongside the seed and choke the plant, making it unfruitful? It's not by intention is it? Things just come up, we say, you know, there's there's always reasons, maybe they're, they're technical issues that you're having. Uh, there's always excuses though, isn't there? Reasons, logic that you can marshal together or that people marshal together for a reasonable reason why they're not trusting anymore. Well, this morning as we begin on this series through the book of Joshua, this question of, of trust and of of not just do the Israelites trust God, but will the Israelites trust God? Will they trust the Promise Keeper? Will they continue? Will they enter the land that God's promised their ancestors? Now going into the Old Testament, after we've been in the New Testament for a little while, we need to work a little bit harder. There's a bit of bit more context and backstory there, and so we're going to see a little bit of that this morning. We'll see the threats and answers to God's plans and purposes that come, and the lessons that lie ahead. So then, as we come to Joshua chapter 1, verse 1, it's page 208 uh, in the Bibles in the foyer, if you've uh, lost it. But there, at the start, we see a strikingly brief, yet heavy statement... The kind that if you were watching a movie, uh, would proceed into, you know, the kind of flashbacks for the main character going, things going through their mind. After the death of Moses, flash, 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 all these different scenes come up. Yeah, that's right. Moses was leading the people, wasn't he? God brought them out of Egypt through Moses. Uh, see down there where the red line is, uh, brought them out of Egypt through Moses. Moses stood in for them before God in Mount Sinai. They grumbled to him again and again uh, as he, as all the way that Moses was bringing them to this land up there, the kind of, the greenish bit that they're coming to. That's right. I remember now they actually once stood where they stand now 40 years ago. 40 years ago, they came up, uh, up that blue, purpley bit on the right hand side to where the Ammonites are and they stood on the edge of the promised land. And they sent a couple of spies in to have a look and, and they came back, but they were afraid. They were like grass. We were like grasshoppers compared to the people in the land, they said. They melted in fear before them. They didn't think that God was strong enough. And so they failed to go in. And so instead of going in and crossing the Jordan, then they reject Moses was in God's leadership, and they wander down back in the desert for forty years. None of those, God said, over twenty years old and over twenty years old and over, will enter my rest. They will die in the desert. What a shocker! That's a kind of face palm kind of moment uh, as you read. Well, this Moses, Moses has brought them back to the promised land. He put before them the law, God's faithfulness, their unfaithfulness and charged them. He charged them to obey God. We will do everything the Lord has said. Well, I've heard that before, Moses might be thinking. This Moses, who led the people all that time, who who wasn't allowed to go into the land because of his disobedience, could only see it from a distance, Deuteronomy 34. This Moses, who had led the people like no other, had died. What's going to happen now? With all of that standing in the background, you can kind of get the feeling that maybe things are balanced on a knife's edge. In a world that's, that's hostile to God, uh, with a group of people who, whose hearts are rebellious... Well, there's always going to be threats to God's purposes and plans. But what's so significant about now? Why is now, why would it matter so much now uh, to see threats coming? Why does it matter? You know, we're going to see a number of threats as we look through the passage this morning. Threats to write off this plan of entering into the land. You might be asking, are they really all that bad? Like... Is it really so bad if they stay on that side of the river, on the east? You know, there looks like there's plenty of space there. Uh, if it's a good land, surely, you know, that's that'll be all right. You know, they'd avoid a whole lot of bloodshed on the way, uh, you know, a whole lot of effort. Are the stakes really that high? And for us, kind of here, now, 2000, well, no, many years later, living thousands of kilometres from the Middle East without a particular attachment to that land, uh, it can seem like a whole lot of fuss over... Well, a bit of land that's overrated, really. Why is it so significant? Well, it's because it's the promised land. The promised land that we're talking about here. The land that God swore to give to Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, way back in, in Genesis 2. It's the land that's been on God's lips and the lips of God's people ever since then. All of these pages, there's hundreds of references to this land that God is giving them, that he swore to give them, this promised land. It's about a promise. More than that, it's about God keeping a promise. A promise made over 400 years ago for this very time when they stand and look in. Last week I talked a bit about how Soph and I remet our relationship and how we got married. Well, when I asked Soph to marry me, we only had to wait about four months uh, before the day came when we made those promises. We got engaged in January and married in May. It felt like a long time in the midst of it though. Still, I suppose it wasn't all that long, but I would have been pretty disappointed still if we came to that day, you know, got all dressed up, I'm there, and she didn't come. Or if she kind of, I'm there and she calls me up and says, oh, look, there's just been a few delays, uh, you know, I need another four hours, or I need another four days maybe, or four weeks, or, or, or four months. Can you imagine waiting 40 years... 40 years from when you saw this land and didn't go in to then come back and now be on the edge of that land. In fact, can you imagine waiting 400 years from when when this land was promised to your ancestors and now you're finally about to go into it? Do you want that to fail? Surely not. But even more, even more than just a promise about a physical land, it's about a location. That's what they say in real estate, isn't it? Location, location, location. It's about a place. What's special about this location? Well, it's the place of God's blessing. That's what's special, the place of God's blessing, the place where God's people will be His people, where they'll be living in the land under His rule, in the land receiving His blessing. This promised land is in fact a blessed land. You think about the context where the promises were made back in Genesis 12, it's just after the people of the earth have said, we'll make a name for ourselves. And God says, no, no, that's not the way to do it. And he says to Abraham, I will make a name for you. I will bless you. This is the land of blessing. This is about God's answer to fallen humanity, people coming back into relationship with him. This is about rest, God's rest. And so if you think, are these... Threats are is you know, if they don't don't work out here, is it such a big deal? Does it really matter? Well these threats are only they're only threatening, you know, to write off the equivalent of heaven for the Old Testament. Pretty significant, huh? It's about life with God or life away from him. Okay. Let's come and, and we'll look a little bit, little bit closer at the narrative and look at some of these threats and answers. Uh, the threats that, that arise. The first one comes quite quickly. So again, uh, Joshua uh, chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' aid, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now then, you and all these people get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land I'm about to give them, to the Israelites. The first threat is over leadership. Moses is dead. Joshua is the new leader. But will the people follow Joshua? Will God be with Joshua? Will Joshua follow God, just as Moses has done? Well, God heads this threat off at the pass? Chapter 1, verse 5, look down a little bit there. No one will be able to stand up against you. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. You are my leader, Joshua. I will be with you as I was with Moses. And God doesn't just say this once, you know, He might have just you know, been having a bad day, maybe you got it wrong one day. It doesn't just say it twice, but again and again. You will lead these people, verse 6, verse 7: be careful so that you may be successful wherever you go. Chapter 3, verse 7. Chapter 4, verse 14. You will be my leader for these people. How encouraging would that have been for, for Joshua to hear those words from God? But notice he still does have a responsibility, doesn't he? Be strong and courageous. We'll come back to that a little bit later. The next threat is to do with the unity of these people, the, the tribes. Uh, Chapter 1, verses 11 to 15. Look with me. Joshua told the officers of the people, uh, verse 11, Go through the camp and tell the people, get your supplies ready. Three days from now you will cross the Jordan here to go in and take possession of the land. The Lord your God is giving you for your own. And then down at verse verse 12, But to the Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh, Joshua said this, verse 13, Remember the command that the Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave you. The Lord your God is giving you rest and has granted you this land, that is, the land over on the east side of the river. Your wives and your children and your livestock may stay in the land that Moses gave you east of the Jordan, but all your fighting men, fully armed, must cross over ahead of your brothers. You are to help your brothers until the Lord gives them rest. The is about the unity of the tribes and about actually them going in and taking possession of this land. You see, these two and a half tribes that are singled out there are those that said to Moses back in Numbers 32, hey, look, you know, This side of the land, this side of the river, uh, looks pretty good. Look, we're happy to have our inheritance here. You know, we don't want to, we don't want to overcrowd the other side, you know. That's from Numbers 32, if you want to read it later. It sounds, you know, pious and generous, but it really, it was rebellious and unthankful. It's like someone taking you on a holiday to Hawaii. Come on, come with me on a holiday to Hawaii. And we fly into Honolulu airport, and we get there, and you say, "Look, oh, this, this this airport's pretty nice, this airport land I think'll I think I'll just stay here for a couple of weeks You, you, you go off to the to the beachfront uh, resort, and I'll stay here. How rude yet still God was gracious to them. He allowed them to have that land as their inheritance, providing they also undertook their responsibility to receive the promised land. So Joshua says to them, you're coming too, right? What are they going to say? Yes, sir they say. We will obey you just as we obeyed Moses in everything. And if anyone doesn't, his life be on his head. Well, they sound serious enough, don't they? Threat number two seems to bite the dust. As we read on, though, they keep coming. Chapter 2, verse 1, Joshua decides to send out spies. Look with me there. Then Joshua, son of Nun, secretly sent two spies from Shittim. Go look over the land, he said, especially Jericho. Oh, no, spies. We've seen this before. They did this last time and it didn't work out well, did it? Forty years in the wilderness, you know? whole generation dying. Well, we'll see what happens. So they went, the spies, they went and entered the house of a prostitute that named Rahab and stayed there. Well done on staying focused, guys, you know, like that bit from Star Wars, they needed the, the guy in the background over the radio, stay on target, stay on target. Well, the king of Jericho was told, some of the Israelites have come to spy out the land. And the king sends for them. Well, the game's up. It's over. They're going to be caught. But seemingly, out of nowhere, this woman, the woman switches allegiance. She changes sides. Chapter 2, verse 3, the king says, send them out. But the woman says, oh, they're not here. They were here, but they've gone. She took them and hid them. What, what's going against the king? This doesn't this doesn't sound right. You know, maybe it's just a trick. Maybe it's just kind of a lull them in, kind of give them a false sense of security, and then we'll find out what really their plans are and we'll we be able to get them then. But no. God heads this one off at the past too, doesn't he? No, Rahab says, chapter two, verse nine. I know. I know that the Lord has given this land to you and that a great fear of you has fallen on us so that all who live in this country are melting with fear because of you. Whereas before, the nation on the other side of the Jordan, the Israelites, melted in fear at those who were in the land. Even before they've gone in, God has gone before them and the people of the land are melting. In fear. The enemy is even telling you that you can, that, that you've got nothing to fear. The Lord has, has gone before you. The Lord God, your God, is God of heaven above and of earth below. Joshua, you've got the biggest guy on your side. Don't fear. And this threat is passed off to the side. Lastly, there's just the simple thread of geography, Joshua and Israel, they're on this side of the Jordan, the land is on this side of the Jordan and the Jordan's in flood. Now, I haven't been uh, here on this side of the river uh, when there's been a flood, um, when was the last time that was, does anyone Remember? Ninety-one, okay, a while ago. And you can't, you there's can't, really no going over there. You're going to go around all the way around. You need a bigger bridge. Well, a bigger bridge is just not what they had, is it? But they did have a bigger God. Chapter 3, verse 15. Turn over the page. Now, the Jordan is at flood stage all during harvest, yet... As soon as the priests who carried the ark reached the Jordan and their feet touched the water's edge, the water from upstream stopped flowing. It piled up in a great heap, uh, in a heap a great distance away at a town called Adam in the vicinity of Zarathan. Even a flooded river is no threat for God bringing his people into the land. Another one bites the dust. God takes care of it again. And again, he calls Joshua and the people to trust him. God isn't just the promise maker, but he's the promise keeper. And he's given them every reason to trust him. And that's really the lesson here. That's the lesson. That God is not just the promise maker, but the promise keeper. He is the one who does what he says. He is the one who makes a promise and keeps it. And this gives them all the more reason to trust the promises that are still to come. Because he's the promised keeper, there's all the more reason to fear God. Chapter 4, verse 24. Fear God, then fear the enemies of the land. But notice something important. All of this, all of the things that God gives them as reasons to trust him, doesn't remove Joshua and the people's responsibility to trust him, does it? He charges Joshua. He says, be strong and courageous. We we just sang about it. Be strong and very courageous. That doesn't sound as good in a song, but be strong and courageous. The people still have to trust Joshua's leadership and respond to him following and trusting God. Joshua's still got to trust God, be strong and courageous. The message isn't God is good, God is the promise keeper, so sit back, relax, get a beanbag from the youth beanbag store. Relax. God's got it all under control. You don't need to do anything. You'll just walk in. Now he says, remember. And be strong and courageous. Don't depart from my commands, he says, to the left or to the right. Don't be terrified or discouraged. Be strong and courageous. Remember what I have done. Earlier this week, we did something to remember, didn't we? Anzac Day. We do it each year, twice a year if you kind of include uh, Remembrance Day. We do it each year so we will remember them, lest we forget. God also has a plan for Joshua to remember. As we saw earlier here with Dave, a pile of rocks. Rocks, not just any rocks, but rocks from the middle of the Jordan. Piled up. Remember, remembering God's promise to bring them into the land. And so this morning, I want to bring things together by asking two things. Firstly, if you don't yet trust God, then can I say you're very welcome here. I'm really glad that you've joined us today. I hope that you get to see a little more of the reasons why God is someone who is worthy of our trust, that he makes promises and keeps them. He is a God like this God here who invites those who are not yet part of his people, to join his people. Think of Rahab in the story. I hope that you'll keep coming back and seeing more and more why he is a God worth trusting. And for those of you who do trust God for life and salvation through Jesus, let me ask you, what are the, what are the threats before us? What are the threats before you? The threats to you continuing to trust the promise keeper. How are you remembering? What's your remembrance pattern? In Hebrews chapter 3, the writer puts this challenge before his hearers. He says these words, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion. And for them... He declares on oath in his anger, they shall never enter my rest. And He continues, verse 12, See to it, brothers, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God, but encourage one another daily, as long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. Verse 14, we have come to share in Christ. If we hold firmly to the end, the confidence we had at first. Confidence to the end. Holding on, persevering. No one sets out to fail, do they? No one sets out to stop trusting God, to walk with Him for a little while and then to say, yeah, look, that's that's good. That was my plan. Stop here. There's always reasons, excuses, always logic that we can come up for for what happens, for the steps that we take. Well, you know, this happened and this happened. But at the root, There's a sinful, unbelieving heart, one that we all need to be delivered from. How are you going at facing the threats around us, the threat of of the popular worldview to thinking God's way? How are you going at continuing to be shaped by God instead of by the culture around us, about what, who you are, about what life is for? Are you going at having your mind and heart shaped by God when it comes to thinking about work? When it comes to thinking about relationships and marriage and children? When it comes to thinking about stuff in this world? That's what it is, you know, property, cars, it's just stuff. What's your plan for remembrance? Once or twice a year? God has saved us securely in Jesus Christ, but the command is now to be strong and courageous. In Philippians chapter 2, Paul says, continue to work out your salvation, continue to live and follow God with fear and reverence because God is working in you to want what he wants, to do what he wants. It's because of the promise, because God is a promise keeper that we press on, not sit back with our hands. So how are you going with that? Meeting with others, reading the Bible, praying, serving, encouraging others, even identifying the threats. If you don't see them as issues, you're not going to be able to stand against them. Friends, let's press on together. In remembering, remembering that our God is a promise keeper. Because we won't be disappointed.